Hey, and welcome to the Humanity Church Podcast. So excited that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this week's talk and it really connects to your life in a meaningful way. If you're live in the Pomona area, we would love to have you at one of our gatherings at 10 a.m. or at one of our humanity groups that meet all throughout the week all over the city. If you want more information about our community, you can go to www.humanitychurch.com or download our app on your phone on Apple or Android. If you like what you're hearing here and want to continue to support the ongoing work at Humanity, you can text the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977 and give back financially in just about 10 seconds. Hey, and here's this week's talk that was given live at our Sunday gathering at Humanity Church. We've talked uh, at Christmas about what it looks like to live a life uncommon through the life of the shepherds. We've talked about what it looks like to step into the light and to follow that fully. Scott spoke last week, which Scott was amazing. Was he not incredible? Uh, And uh, about really what it looks like to follow the light in our life. And this week I wanna end with something that I feel is like so needed in not, uh, it feels like it's needed every Christmas season, but it feels like it's needed every Christmas, like especially this Christmas season. And that is what it looks like to hope. And for me, There's so many beautiful moments in the Christmas story, and there's so many beautiful moments that we know very well, where angels come to Mary and Joseph, and shepherds are in a field nearby, and then wise men come. There's so many beautiful moments, but there's this moment for me that always is so beautiful and profound, and it's often left out, and it's found actually right after the shepherds come, and they proclaim the good news to Mary and everyone else, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. It's the story of, of a man named Simeon, and it says... There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelations to the Gentiles and the glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that there will be spoken against so the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too." So this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like to hope fully at Christmas time, especially. See, Simeon had been promised something, and he had been promised something from God. And that promise was that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, before he saw the Savior of humanity. In other words, in his lifetime, he would be able to actually physically see Oh, God has fulfilled his promises, and then he can die after that. And he longed for this moment, I imagine, his entire life. I don't know when in life, his life, he got this promise. I imagine, in my mind, it was early on in his life. But he has been waiting and waiting and waiting for this moment. In fact, the entire scripture is essentially this longing and waiting for the Messiah to come. In fact, the entire Old Testament is essentially just a people waiting for God to fulfill his promise that he was going to come and that he was going to redeem them and he was going to bring faith and hope and life back into the human story. I mean, years before the birth of Jesus, this was foretold about him, and now it's on most of your Christmas cards now, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, now we, we think about this passage of Scripture as connected to the birth of Jesus, but when you read that prophecy, essentially, it was actually given 700 years before Jesus ever came onto the scene. I mean, can you imagine the waiting that took place over 700 years that this would actually be fulfilled? I mean, to put that in perspective, it would be like us today saying, you know that prophecy that happened in 1321? We're waiting on it. <laughs> it's a long waiting period, yes? I mean, I, I don't know how many people were probably like, oh yeah, that's just like an old wives' tale. Or that's like a nice idea that some people still hold on to. Like really the prophecy of 1321, you still believe that? That's so irrelevant, right? We've progressed outside of this here and now. And then not only to mention that, but, but you get into this waiting period and at least God's speaking through prophets and he's speaking through his people and he's moving with the Israelites. But then you get to the end of the Old Testament, you get to like Malachi and it's done and then God's just silent, in fact, he's silent for like 400 years. See, it's one thing to be waiting for 700 years and the whole time God's talking to you and he's informing you of what he's doing and what he's not doing and, and the plan leading up to this and what's needed to usher in this Messiah and the timing for all of that. It's another thing when God's just silent and he's not speaking and you're waiting on him. You know, it's interesting because working with people, as long as I have in many different formats and fashions, the one thing that I've noticed most people are really uncomfortable with is silence. In fact, when things get silent, it's awkward, isn't it? I mean, look, look even, when, even when conversation just kind of lulls and you're like, well, there's nothing left to talk about, right? It's, it gets awkward because, because there's this silence that needs to be filled. I actually think it's one of the hardest places for human beings to be is not just in the silence, but in the waiting for what's next. It's in that in-between space. We call this the liminal space in life. It's where you're not quite where you were and you're not quite where you're headed. You're just hanging out and you're waiting for something that might happen that you're hoping for and longing for and dreaming for in the middle of this. And, and here's the thing, who we are as a person is both revealed and reformed in those moments of hoping, of waiting, of longing in the middle of this. In my family, we have like a family curse on us, I think. And because all the men in our family are, just have this gift of impatience. It's like it's a very special gift. And I just can't tell. I, I hate waiting. I do not like it. I'm a very fast-paced individual. And the idea of waiting is awful. And it shows up in all kinds of places in my life that are very inconvenient. I'm very sad for my wife at times that she gets to deal with this. But, I mean, it just shows up in all kinds of places for me. Like this last year, I found out that you could sign up on you, the United States Postal Service website to have them scan your mail and send you an email at 6 a.m. what mail you're getting that day. And so every day at 6 a.m., I check my phone, and it gives me a list of all the mail that I'm getting that day. And if there's something in the mail that looks like money or a check or money, and I, like, I, like, 
I'm usually like, all right, let's go. I mean, six o'clock, I'm like, where's the, where's the postman, right? And Marla goes to take Jackson to school at 10 a.m. And I'm, if there's something in that mail that I need, I'm like, Marla, check the mail, 10 a.m., all right? Make sure, I'll text her, check the mail, right? If Sarah's there watching our kids, I'll be texting Sarah, has the mail come yet? Because I, like, they, they should be there on my schedule in that time. And if they're not there by at least 10 a.m., something's wrong. I mean, I have this natural inclination to call the United States Postal Office and say, hey, is everything okay? Like, because I know you're supposed to deliver the mail. I got an email, this, a very important email this morning, right? Whatever it may be, because I do not like waiting for this, especially now that I know something's coming, right? And now there's this anticipation that maybe it's going to be here sooner or later. And how often in life do we find ourselves in that space? Just waiting, waiting in anticipation for something to come for the fulfillment of something that's been promised. There is this longing inside of all of us, I know it, for something that is not yet realized. And yet we long for it to be, and I, am, I know that it lives within you. I'm certain of it. I mean, if you were just to pause for a moment and just to think about the areas in your life where you're waiting on something, where you're waiting for that burden to be lifted, where you're waiting for, that, waiting for that struggle to be relieved, where you're, you're waiting for that longing to finally be realized, where you're waiting for the bank account to finally get out of negative, where you're waiting for the marriage to finally get to where it needs to be, where you're waiting for that relationship to heal itself, where you're waiting for that diagnosis to finally be taken care of. There's so much that we find ourselves in. And there's a waiting that lives inside all of us. In fact, I want you just to think as I'm speaking about those areas, the areas that feel the strongest where you're waiting for what's next. And... The hard thing about this moment that we find ourselves in with COVID is that we're not even waiting for like what's next. We're waiting to regain what was taken from us. We're not even like, I find that so many people have actually stopped longing for like a, an abundant future. We're just like, when do we get back to the place where I can be with family without masks on? Or where, when can I actually just go and live my life? Or when do I get to be in a space where I'm not worried that someone's going to die? Or when do I get to be in a place where I'm not worried about control or people not obeying or people not doing what they're supposed to be doing? Fill in the blank. And so we're not even longing for a future anymore. We're just waiting to get back to where we had been. And that's sometimes the worst type of waiting. That's sometimes the worst type of longing. I know for me and some of our leadership team, we, we, we prayed for years and years that God would, could, would just grow our community and that we would see people come to know Jesus and that we would see critical mass take place. And three weeks before the pandemic hit, we finally hit a marker that we had been waiting for seven years for. We finally hit 200 people in our gathering. And I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're finally doing it. This is the abundance that we've been looking for. This is, this is the community that we're creating. It's happening, God. And then three weeks later, we get a notice that we have to shut our doors down. And everything was taken. And it was one of those moments where it's like, God, we waited and we waited and we waited and you fulfilled the promise and then you took it all away from us. Have you ever had that experience? That's even a more difficult place to be. Where you had and you longed and you fought and you won and you lost. And I find that so many people are in that place here and now. And when you find yourself in those places, do you ever wish those longings would just go away? Don't you wish that you could wish them away? <laughs> like, like, could I just pause the hoping? Could I just pause the longing? Could I dim it down just a little bit? And the moment we stop longing, the moment we stop creating, the moment we stop hoping is the moment that we start to die. That's just the fact of the matter. That we may not physically die, but there's something inside of us that starts to die when we refuse to hope for a future 
that is exponentially more beautiful than our current reality and our past behind us. Because part of being human is living in the hope. It's leaning into the hope, the longing. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus came. See, Christmas was a moment where God himself said, I am securing a future for you that is actually worth hoping for. That that is not just like a nice idea. It's not just a wish that your heart makes. It is secured for you moving forward. And here, Simeon has been in this position of longing and hoping and waiting for decades, waiting and wondering, "Is, is today the day? Is today the day this finally gets fulfilled? Does this finally get connected to in life? And this is the moment where hoping turns to rejoicing in the scriptures. And Paul talks about hoping like this in Romans. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I don't know about you, but I oftentimes think of hope like joy as an emotion. That, that's something that we, we have that comes over us or that we feel in any moment. And that when we are connecting hope to an emotion or to a feeling, it's something that we have in one moment and then it might be taken away in another. And so from moment to moment, we, he, we feel hopeful or we don't feel hopeful. And it usually changes based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Honestly, at times, I feel sorry that Marla has to live with me in this space. <laughs> I mean, because I'm telling you, there are, there are moments where I wake up and I'm like, this is my life. And there are moments, usually five seconds later after something happens, that I'm like, this is my life, right? I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you're just like on top of the world and then you get a bill. And then you're like, what? Or you're on top of the world and you get that phone call. Or you're on top of the world and you get the diagnosis. Or you're on top of the world and then some, something even small happens and it just screws up your whole day, right? Like your phone dies before it's supposed to, right? <laughs> and, and it's amazing how fast we can go from extremely hopeful to extremely hopeless in just a matter of seconds based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And then we find ourselves using this word like, well, I hope for this, and I hope for that, and I hope for this over there, and I hope for them, and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And here's what I found is that as we hope, and as we hope, and as we find ourselves longing, and longing, and longing, and waiting, and waiting, and waiting, we actually start to become hope-averse, where we're just not willing to hope anymore, where we're not willing to actually believe for anything bigger than what we currently have here and now. Now, just to be clear, when I talk about hope, I am not talking about like cute self-help hope. I'm not talking about like, well, I hope I have a million dollars and I hope I have a Mercedes and I hope that my kids get to go to college for free at Harvard, right? I'm not talking about that type of hope, right? I, I am not talking about like daily affirmations that you tell yourself, like I am healthy, wealthy, and full of life, whatever it may be. I am talking about like a God-given hope 
that is bigger than what you can currently see. That, that is actually promised to you from a divine loving God who has said, no, 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 this is the future that I am talking to you. I am talking about the hope of a life that is filled with love and generosity. I am talking about like the hope of a life that has faith and that moves every obstacle that comes in its way. I'm talking about the hope of a life of peace and a sturdy foundation that comes with this. I'm talking about a hope that is surrounded by divine community that moves you forward no matter what comes your way. Any other hope is just wishful thinking. And if it happens, great. But what I'm talking about is something greater that's connected to a promise that has actually already been fulfilled for you. See, if love is presenced by sacrifice, then hope is the byproduct of suffering every single time. Hope is always, always, always connected to some type of suffering in our light, life. See, hope is, is not actually emotion. It, it is a state of being that is grounded in a promise that, that you can bank on will come to pass. And when you have that type of hope, when you have that type of hope connected to a God of promise, you are willing to be in the heartbreak of life. You are willing to go through whatever it takes. You are willing to engage every type of suffering, every type of betrayal, every type of pain that comes a long way because you will stay in the longing knowing that it will hurt. But here's the thing, you know that you know that you know that the promise has already been fulfilled and it is coming. And there's a power in that. See, hope always must believe. No, 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 hope must always know. Like know certainly that the future is brighter than we could ever imagine because God has already gone before us and won it ahead of time. It is me standing in the present here looking towards what will be and in all the mess that I find myself in, in all of the circumstances and all of the situations and all of the entanglements that I find myself here now and hope actually pulls us into the future saying there, there is something coming that I am counting on come hell or high water See, hope will always pull us towards the future. Otherwise, we wouldn't even get out of bed. See, the fact that you got out of bed this morning actually lets me know that you're still hoping. It actually lets me know that you, there is at least a glimmer of hope inside of you if you're here and feel hopeless. The fact that you are here lets me know that there is a glimmer of hope inside of you that says there must be a tomorrow that is worth at least getting out of bed for. See, in fact, getting out of bed is the greatest evidence that hope still exists within you. And Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. See, when hope isn't actualized, we start growing heart sick. That's just like the natural progression. When we find ourselves hoping and longing and it doesn't come to pass and we're waiting and waiting, we actually become heart sick in the middle of this. And what happens is that we move from hoping into what I call despair management in life. We, we actually say, you know what? I'm done with hoping. This was a waste of time. It was a waste of my energy. It's not actually gonna happen. And so all of that energy went into hope and now goes into managing all the despair that we might find ourselves in, avoiding all the ups and downs of life. And really what we find ourselves in is managing, keeping our life comfortable. How can I just keep my life comfortable? Because I know that that future that's coming is not worth it. 
And I know that the past behind me is not worth it either, so I'm just going to stay comfortable because we don't like the risk of the vulnerability of hope. Because hope puts us in a very vulnerable position. And so we avoid the risk of that because in our heart and our mind, we start telling us, well, something might let me down or someone might let me down. So I just need to keep things manageable. So, so don't have that conversation that's needed. Just keep it manageable. Don't, don't, don't dream too big or too small. Just keep it manageable. Keep it what's within your ability. Don't put yourself out there too far. Keep it manageable. Don't give yourself too much or too little. Just keep it manageable. And let me just tell you, manageable is the enemy of hope. When you find yourself simply managing the despair in your life, you can know that you are on your way towards hopelessness. And and for those of you who don't like the despair management game, There's another option that we oftentimes choose when hope gets to be too much. We bypass all of that and we just move straight to entitlement. And it oftentimes sounds like this in my head when I find myself there, I shouldn't have to suffer for this. How many know what that sounds like? I I shouldn't have to go through this. Do you know how much I've already been through? I shouldn't have to engage with this level of pain. I shouldn't have to engage with this level of effort. I shouldn't have to put this much passion into it because I deserve. And we find ourselves there. And so we grow resentful of what we never had or we grow angry of what we don't currently have. And then we find ourselves longing. Either way, it leads to the same path that Paul talks about, which is shame. And it's so easy to get there when we find ourselves in despair management or entitlement when it comes to hope. See, I actually wonder the shame that Simeon had to fight when he showed up to the temple courts every single day, thinking, all right, God, maybe today's the day. After a few months, it might get old. After a few years, it might get really despairing. After a few decades, you start fighting off the shame of, man, I, I, was I a fool for believing this? Was I, was I out of my mind for thinking that God would actually fulfill his promises? And look at all these people around me here in the temple courts who day after day are like, there's crazy Simeon thinking that he's gonna see the Messiah before he dies. I mean, you could imagine the talk that happened among people. Like, he still actually believes? He's still actually thinking that this is what's going to happen in his life? And I imagine the shame that he had to fight in his hope for what God was going to do was immense at times. Because here's what I found when it comes to hope is that God's timing is rarely on my timeline. The way that he moves is rarely when I long for him or expect him to move. It rarely comes on our time, timeline. And here's the thing. Simeon, he was ready to die. I mean, every indicator points like this was an old dude who was like, I have, I'm, I'm good. I'm like, I'm about to die. I don't know if this was going to happen. And I imagine there were times where he had given up. Like, I don't got much more time, God, here to have this promise fulfilled. But what I love about Simeon is that he kept showing up at the temple courts. He kept showing up. He was like, I don't care. I know it's coming. 
Not, not that it might be coming, not that it could come on some random Tuesday, not that it might happen three months from now after I'm dead and, and it's kind of the same thing. But he knew, he knew that before he was going to die, that hope was coming and that he was going to experience the Messiah because God always keeps his promises. And so Simeon kept in it. See, when Jesus stepped into human history at Christmas time, what it was, was it was God declaring that you are allowed to hope with a passion that far outweighs the despair that you are called into. That you are allowed to give yourself to the hope of the future that God has already won for you. And you do not have to give into the shame that comes with the longing. Not just for Simeon, but all of humanity up until this point and after this. Transforming all things into new possibilities. And we know this because he keeps his promises. That's what he does every single time. He is steady, unchanging. And with that, it brings so much hope. See, Jesus was God's declaration that hope was still available in the human story and that it was still coming for us. See, what what would happen in life instead of ignoring that longing for that future that God has promised you? Instead of setting it aside or dumbing it down or dimming it or saying, well, let me make this manageable somewhere in the middle of this. What, what if instead of ignoring that out of the fear of the suffering that came along with that, we just fully stepped into it. We embraced it. We leaned into it with actual great expectations. See, I actually think that the problem isn't that we hope too much, is that we hope too little. Because if we get our expectations up of what God is actually calling us into, the future that he has for us and the people around us, it actually might drive us straight into God, into the fullness of who God is. See, what if we actually never met the God of miracles, not because we hope too little, but because we don't hope enough, and that when we long, when we were like, God, I have a longing that I'm willing to suffer for, that I'm willing to hurt, and I'm willing to go through the pain for, and I'm willing to engage the betrayal, all of it, that in that moment, the God of miracles might actually show up in our lives that he might actually do the unthinkable in those moments because it is his love that transforms the shame of not being who we are into hope, making all things new in the middle of this. Hope does not put us to shame. His love has been poured out on us. That's what Paul says. People of hope are always marked by suffering. That there, There is this characteristic of people who have hoped and won, and that is they have scars from the waiting, that they're, they're people that, that have battle wounds from the waiting because they've been willing to go through the suffering required to hang in there, to see it through until the end. And the beautiful thing is that once hope is fulfilled, even the scars get healed. Even the wounds of waiting get healed. See, because here's the beautiful thing. I can tell you this, is that God is not playing some divine game of hide and seek. He is not like trying to keep himself hidden from you. He's not like a parent who's like trying to say like, hey, I got these good things from you and I hid them somewhere and they're like up in the attic and now he's like, go find them, right? He's actually like, no, they're right here all in front of you, ready, waiting for you. And here's the thing, it's in the waiting that he shapes us. It's in the waiting that he teaches us what it looks like to have the character necessary to contain all of the blessings that are coming in the future. 
See, because I imagine that when God looks at us, he's like, look, you're not ready yet for this future that I have for you. Look, you don't have the character. You don't have the perseverance. I'm gonna, look, if I gave this to you, you're gonna be like the five-year-old who gets the $10 at Christmas and blows it all on bubble gum, right? <laughs> he's like, if I give it to you right now, you're gonna waste it. So that you're gonna have to go through some waiting. There's, some, there's like some perseverance that's gonna need to be built up in you so that when you finally actually get to the place where hope is fulfilled, your character can actually contain the blessings that I am pouring out in you. And he will never, ever, ever waste your suffering and he will never, ever, ever waste your hoping. See, when we allow ourselves to rest in his love, that's when we have hope that all things are made new and that is what Christmas is about. And I love that Simeon continues. He, he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. He says, because my eyes have seen, my eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelations to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, the promise had come and the future he had been longing for was here and now. But here's the thing, it had not yet been fulfilled. He was like, okay, I've been waiting for this Messiah and now I'm good to go because it has been fulfilled and now this Messiah is gonna go on to not only fulfill the promise that he has made to me, but he is gonna fulfill every promise that God has made to any human being that has ever walked the face of this earth by living a perfect life and then being sacrificed on a cross and dying and coming back to life so that I could live a life filled with hope. And I love Simeon's foresight because he's like, I'm good. I can go now, right? He's like, let's, let's do this, right? Funeral. Because <laughs> he's like, I've waited and I've seen and I can now go on because my eyes have seen your salvation. And I love that he recognized that there's this extra hope that comes, that he, the savior of the world has now come and humanity's good. He, I, in that moment, I could just see him like, all right, humanity's good. Humanity can be redeemed now. And we talked about how, how God chooses uncommon shepherds to hope two weeks ago, three weeks ago. How he chooses like the people who are, are the least qualified, the least expected to step into this space of hope that, that comes with that, that God would choose blue collar workers and the least of society, insignificant, lowly. And in that moment, their life moved from ordinary to extraordinary, from, from the common to, uh, to uncommon when God steps into that because God had chosen them in that moment to hope, to hope for something bigger than what they had before. I don't know about you, but when it comes to hoping specifically, I often feel like a shepherd. You know what I'm talking about? Like when it comes to hoping, I'm always like, yeah, but you don't know who I am. You don't know all of my flaws and you don't know all of the things that I struggle with and you don't know all of the things in my life that are incredibly insecure. I can't tell you how many times on a Sunday morning, I am waiting back here. There's a light board back here that I sit at that I'm usually going over my talk and worshiping and connecting to God and how I fight off the thought, who the hell am I to give a talk to people? And, and, and I could give you a whole list of insecurities and things that are lack of qualifications and things that happened during the week that I said to my kids or that I didn't do or that I should have, had or should have done and, and all the ways that I could be a better husband and a better man. And here's the thing, all of those things come rushing in. 
Do any of you guys ever have the thought and you're hoping what happens when they find out that I'm a fraud? You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) What happens when everyone finds out that I'm a fraud and that I'm not actually worthy of hoping for this? See, I I love that the trajectory of the shepherds specifically, their life was so insignificant and so ordinary and they had a pretty good routine going on. I mean, it was okay, (laughs) Talk about like despair management. Nothing was wrong. Nothing was really great, but they were gonna get through the day. They were gonna pay their bills. They were gonna live a meaningless existence that no one ever knew about, but at least they weren't dying. See, and here's the thing. In an instant, Jesus made them the first people on the planet to ever share hope to the world. That these small, insignificant, unqualified, lower than low human beings that could have ever been chosen, God instantly takes them and he makes them the voice of hope for the world around us. See, the beautiful thing is that this is such good news for those of us who feel like a fraud. It's such good news for those of us who feel disqualified and feel like here's the list of why I shouldn't and here's all the things that I've done that make me unqualified for what's in front of me because in an instant, Jesus makes them the first people on the planet to share hope and sometimes hope comes crashing into you when you weren't even expecting it, even with all of your insecurities and your lack of qualifications. And God says, I don't care, this is why I came, so that you could have hope beyond what you can understand and believe in for yourself. I'm just telling you the truth in here. And so suddenly you find yourself bursting into a future, hoping for something bigger than you. Honestly, this is why I love so much that our community steps into a global conversation. Because one of the things I love is when people take, when God takes ordinary people and he places them in a global context and all of a sudden they are connecting with people in different cultures, in different languages, in different contexts that they don't belong in and all of a sudden the spirit of God moves in those moments and he transforms everything even across cultural and language, socioeconomic barriers and people realize for the first time, oh, this has nothing to do with whether or not I'm qualified. This has nothing to do with whether or not I have a thousand insecurities. This has nothing to do with when I finally get up to loving myself enough. This just has everything to do with you go giving yourself because hope has come for you. And Christmas is really also a declaration, not just to hope, but it is God saying, hey, lay down all of the qualifications that you have placed on yourself because I don't have those. I'm not interested in placing those on you. I am just interested in you going and giving the hope that I have placed inside of you. Because when the hope of God comes to you, you will feel incredibly unprepared and unqualified. I will tell you that. There has never been a moment that I have stepped into a big God-given project or a big God-given future or a giant thing that I am hoping for where I walk into it going, well, I am incredibly prepared and I am incredibly qualified and I am the man for the job. In fact, if you feel that way, you're either not the person for the job, you should not have that type of power, or or in the middle of that, that's not actually a God-sized vision. Because the hope that God will call you into will always be bigger than yourselves. It will always be bigger than your qualifications. It will always be bigger than your insecurities. It will always be bigger than your degree. It will always be bigger than what you have had available to you in the past. It will always be bigger because through Jesus, God is actively choosing you. I know that to be true of your life, 100%. 
that God is actively choosing you and he is wanting to bring you hope and a future so that your life will be a beacon of hope for a future for the world around you. See, in Jesus, you are chosen and you don't have to have the talent or the best speaker or the most productive or you don't have to have the most education, but you must be connected to Jesus because this is what Jesus says to us. He says, look, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, he says, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. See, Jesus does all the work. All you have to do is say, look, I'm poor and meek. And he's like, great, you're the one that's qualified. And then he comes and we just lean into the following of him, into the future that he has for us to hope for. See, the beautiful thing at Christmas is you no longer have to ask, will evil win? It has already been defeated. You no longer have to ask if you have a purpose. The answer to that is yes, and it's already been available, made known, and you are called and gifted. You, you no longer have to live in the hopelessness because hope has come for you, period. And this is the beautiful thing that God calls us into in the middle of all of this. I think perhaps this scripture sums up the hope of Christmas the best. Colossians 1, 25 through 27 says, it says this, I have become its servant by the commission of God that he gave me to present to you the work of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. If you want to know what Christmas was disclosing to humanity, this is it. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, at Christmas time, it means that in any moment, in every circumstance, in every situation, no matter what is thrown your way or no matter what you throw yourself into, that hope is on the way. And it's not just on the way like, hey, I hope it gets here on time, that it is already there. And it is your job just to stay in the hope, to suffer in the hope, to go through all of, of the wounding and the pain and the hope that comes from there. Because let me just tell you, God would not have gone through the trouble of sending his son through a Virgin Mary and then going through the craziness of Christmas to birth his son into the world to live a sinless life and to show a way to love and to hope and to live by faith and then have him sacrificed for our behalf and then come back to life so that we could fully live. He wouldn't have done that just so that you could live a little more comfortably. He only did that to declare that hope is here and to live a life of anything less would be a waste of the divine gift that has been given to us at Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have come for us and that this season, that Christmas is not just cookies and carols and Santa Claus and I love all of that, but that this season is a declaration. It is a declaration from heaven to earth that hope has come that the longing that's inside of us, every single one of us for the future that, that we long for, God, for the, for the future of love and abundance, of generosity, 
for a life filled with forgiveness and going again, for a life filled with being a beacon of hope for others, God, that it is available right now. I thank you, God. Would you cause us to rise up in our hope? I pray for those in this room who've, who have become hope averse, God, and are just in despair management or have found themselves just entitled of, of not needing to hope. God, I ask that you would call them again into the pain and the suffering of hope for the future, the glorious, beautiful future that you have secured for them. God, may we never grow weary in that, but may we be the continual voice of hope for the future that you long to usher into humanity. And this morning, if you're here and you've not yet connected to Jesus, maybe you've been disconnected to him for a long time, maybe this is like the first time you've had a conversation around Jesus, maybe it's like Christmas time and someone invited you or you're like, this would be a good idea to come. This is your moment to connect to him, to just enter into a relationship with him, to dare to hope again because he will make it possible. Without him, it's all just wishful thinking. And so this morning, if you want to step into a relationship with Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a long time, this is your moment. If you're online, for you, this is for you. If you're online, you can just click that button that says, today I choose to follow Jesus. If you're here in person, I just want you to look up at me because I want to pray this prayer with you. This is just you declaring to Jesus, today I choose hope through him. And I want you just to pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words, it's just you just connecting to him. Just pray, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I'm broken and that you died for me and that you came back to life so that I could live. And today I choose hope over despair. And I choose life in you over death. Hey, thanks for joining us on the Humanity Church Podcast. We hope that this was a meaningful experience and we look forward to connecting again next week for another conversation around what it looks like to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Again, for more information about Humanity Church, you can visit us online at humanitychurch.com. And if you want to support the ongoing work here at Humanity Church, including this podcast, you can give online in about 10 seconds by texting the word Humanity Church, one word, to 77977. Thanks and have an amazing week.